Hello and happy Wednesday, you guys. I hope y'all are doing good. I hope you're staying safe and sane and healthy. I'm not sure what day of quarantine we are on. I lost track a long time ago, but I hope you guys are doing good and I hope you're ready to jump in to today's case with me. We're just going to dive right on into it today. As you can tell by the title of today's episode, today we are talking about the murder of Dylan Redwine. Dylan was 13 years old when he was last seen on November 19th, 2012 in Durango, Colorado. So let's just jump right on into it. Dylan Redwine was born on February 6th, 1999 to his parents, Mark Redwine and Elaine Hatfield. Dylan also has an older brother named Corey, who he grew up absolutely adoring. I also know that Dylan has a couple older half-siblings from Mark's previous marriage. I know that one of them is named Brandon. He is Dylan's older half-brother. Dylan really loves sports. In particular, he loved to play baseball. He was on a baseball team and he also loved Duke. For those who don't know, Duke is a university here in the United States who are really well known for their sports teams and Dylan was a huge fan of them. He absolutely loved Duke. I'm not exactly sure when this happened in Dylan's life, but I do know that at some point in Dylan's life, his parents ended up getting a divorce. And at the time of Dylan's disappearance, Elaine was living in Colorado Springs, Colorado, and Mark was living in Vallecito Lake, which is in Bayfield, Colorado, about 25 minutes outside of Durango, Colorado. Once Elaine moved to Colorado Springs, she actually was granted full custody over Dylan. Before she moved to Colorado Springs, her and Mark had 50-50 custody over Dylan, but once Elaine moved to Colorado Springs, she was granted full custody, and Mark would see Dylan during regulated court-ordered visits, and that was the case in November of 2000 and 12. Dylan actually had a scheduled court-ordered visit with Mark at this time in late November to spend Thanksgiving with Mark. Now, according to Elaine, she said that Dylan wasn't the biggest fan of going to see Mark and going to visit Mark where he lived, and the main reasons for that is because the town that Mark lived in was pretty small. There wasn't really a lot to do. The town was secluded, and Dylan would just get pretty bored easily while he was there, so he didn't really enjoy going over there too much, but like I said, this was a court-ordered visit and Dylan was planning on spending Thanksgiving with Mark. So Dylan was actually scheduled to take a flight on November 17th to Durango from Colorado Springs to visit his dad. However, the flight got canceled and then it was rescheduled for the following day on November 18th. So he ended up getting there a day later than he expected. Now on November 18th, Dylan flew into the Durango airport and that is where he was picked up by Mark and there is surveillance footage to prove this. There's footage of Dylan walking through the airport, and after Mark picked up Dylan at the airport, the two of them took a trip to Walmart, and this was also captured on surveillance footage. According to Mark, he said that after their trip to Walmart, the two of them went to McDonald's. Now, this trip to McDonald's has never actually been confirmed through surveillance, but that is what Mark said happened that night. Now, according to Elaine, she said the last time she was in contact with Dylan was at 9.37 p.m p.m. on November 19th after Dylan had texted her saying that he had arrived and that Mark had picked him up. According to Elaine, she said that not hearing from Dylan after about 9.30 p.m. was extremely unusual for him considering the fact that Dylan typically didn't go to bed until about 11, 11.30 midnight, somewhere around those hours, and so for him to not respond past 9.37 p.m. It was pretty unusual for him, and you have to remember he was 13 years old and he had a smartphone, 
and he's just like any other kid who's always texting, he's always on his phone, playing different games, things like that. Elaine described him as a big texter, especially when he would go and visit Mark because there wasn't a lot to do while he was up there, so he would constantly be texting his mom and his friends, different things like that. However, all communication stopped, like I said, at 9.37 p.m. the night of November 18th. Now we're on to November 19th. Now, according to Mark, he said that on this morning, he woke up and he attempted to wake Dylan up to go run some errands with him, but he said that Dylan wanted to sleep in, so Mark ended up going to run the errands by himself. He said he went into the town of Durango by himself at about 7.30 a.m. These errands that he ran included going to his attorney's office as well as his company payroll office. According to Mark, he said he returned back home at about 11.30 that same morning and said by the time that he got home, Dylan was gone. Mark said that when he got home and noticed Dylan wasn't there, he thought that he was probably either out playing by himself or the other option Mark said that he thought of was the possibility that Dylan could have gone and seen a friend that day. Dylan did have a couple friends that lived in the Durango area and he did have plans to hang out with them while he was visiting his dad. So according to Mark, he said that he thought maybe he had gone to see one of his friends. The closest friend in proximity to Mark's house was a about 5.9 miles away and this friend of Dylan's is named Tristan and Mark said that he thought it was a possibility that Dylan had walked the 5.9 miles to Tristan's house and decided to hang out with him for the day. It was never noted whether or not Mark tried to even call Dylan or text Dylan because Dylan obviously like I said had his cell phone. He was always someone who was on his cell phone but it was never noted whether or not Mark tried to reach out to him via his cell phone but according to Mark he said that once he got home and saw that Dylan wasn't there and kind of went through the process of, oh, maybe he's either out playing by himself or he's playing with a friend, Mark decided that he was going to take a nap. So Mark said he fell asleep for about an hour and when he woke up and noticed that Dylan still wasn't home, that's when he started to worry. So Mark said when he woke up from his nap, the first thing that he did is he drove to Dylan's friend Tristan's house, the one who lived about 5.9 miles away. Mark said that when he arrived at Tristan's home and asked if Dylan had been with him at any point during the day, Tristan said that he had not seen Dylan, but he had tried texting him multiple different times, but Dylan had never answered him. After going to Tristan's house, Mark said he made his way down to another friend of Dylan's to ask him the same question, and that is when his second friend had told Mark that he had not heard or seen Dylan at all that day. Mark said that after getting these responses from Dylan's friends, he decided to go to the police department to file a missing persons report. But this is where it gets a little weird because every single report and article that I have seen states that Elaine, Dylan's mother, was actually the one to file the official missing persons report for Dylan with the La Plata County Sheriff's Office. According to Mark, he said that while he was already at the police department to report Dylan missing, he had texted Elaine asking if she had seen or heard from Dylan. Now, obviously, Elaine, being a mother, being six hours away, a six hour away drive from where her son was to get asked if she knew where he was was very unsettling for her. She had no idea what Mark was talking about and panic immediately set over her. But after Elaine got this message from Mark, that is when her as well as Dylan's brother Corey got into the car and drove the six hour drive from Colorado Springs to Bayfield to start searching in hopes to find Dylan. Regardless of the six hour drive, Elaine and Corey ended 
ended up getting to Durango on the night of November 19th. And according to Mark, he said that he felt that right from the minute he texted Elaine asking if she had seen Dylan, the fingers started to be pointed at him. Now, starting on November 19th, right away, the night of November 19th, that is when authorities started their search for Dylan. They searched all through the night on November 19th and got right back up on November 20th to search all through the day. It was also discovered early on that not only was Dylan missing, but all of his belongings that he had brought back with him to Mark's house were missing as well. Now, this included his cell phone as well as his black backpack that he came to Mark's with. Now, police were able to look into Dylan's phone records, and they did this because they wanted to see if he had made any phone calls or texts after his last known text at 9.37 p.m. But when they did this, police found out that Dylan hadn't talked to anyone else after that point, and his phone had been turned off since the night of November 18th. Now, the one thing that they were not able to check, though, was the GPS to see if he had possibly been walking around somewhere or if he even left the house at all because Dylan's phone didn't have any GPS on it. Now, I want to be clear that even though they didn't have his phone physically, they were still able to look through the phone records. They didn't need his actual phone to do that just in case there was any confusion. What police were able to find though on his phone records was that there had actually been a text message sent to him from his friend at about 6.45 in the morning on November 19th. This text message was Dylan's friend asking where Dylan was because the two of them had plans to hang out early in that morning. And so that was what this friend was texting him about, seeing where he was and when he would be able to meet up with them. But like I said, Dylan never responded to these text messages. Now, when the police first heard about Dylan's disappearance, they thought it was a good possibility that he was a runaway. They thought this considering the fact that he didn't really want to travel to Mark's house to begin with. He didn't want to stay with Mark. He didn't enjoy spending time with him and he could have gotten fed up and decided that he just wanted to leave and run away. But all of Dylan's family and friends have been absolutely certain since the day that he went missing that Dylan did not run away. They knew he didn't have anything to run away from and the behavior leading up to the last time they had heard from him was just extremely out of pocket and out of character for him. Now, regardless of the authorities believing that Dylan could have possibly been a runaway, they decided to give a polygraph test to all of Dylan's family. And from what I was able to tell, everyone besides Mark was able to pass the polygraph test. Now, Mark didn't fail the polygraph test. His results came back inconclusive. And of course, as the disclaimer that always has to get thrown in when we talk about polygraph tests, polygraphs cannot be relied on to prove someone's full guilt or innocence in a case because they oftentimes are just not accurate. Along with this, polygraphs aren't allowed to be used as evidence in the court, which I know a lot of you guys are already aware of this. You probably hate hearing this disclaimer so many times, but I think that it is important to throw that disclaimer in there just so we're fully aware of all of the facts. So right when Dylan went missing, everyone in the community came together to help search for him. There were hundreds of volunteers who offered to help look for him. Now, Vallecito Lake, which is the lake in Bayfield or right nearby Bayfield, was searched just in case there was any possibility that Dylan's body had landed in the lake. There were actually two cadaver dogs who had caught what they thought was Dylan sent from a boat off of the dam of the lake, which is what initially steered authorities in that direction. They thought there was a very good possibility that they could have found Dylan's body in the lake. But because of the time of year that they were in, it was the 
the winter, the temperature of the lake was way too cold and it only allowed for the diving team to go into the lake for no more than 30 minutes at a time and they could only dive once a day. So each diver could only dive once a day. And after the divers were unable to find Dylan, authorities decided to bring in boats and these boats had high-tech sonar systems to see if they could pick up anything that would give them any indication as to if Dylan's body was in the water. But unfortunately, that led to nothing as well. Now, this is when police started to kind of shift their mindset. They were shifting their mindset off of the possibility of Dylan being a runaway and onto the possibility that something really bad could have happened to Dylan and foul play could have definitely been involved. So Elaine, Mark, and Corey actually went on the Dr. Phil show, and you can go to YouTube to find the clips of the taping if you want to see them for yourself. It was Elaine, Mark, Corey, as well as an ex-girlfriend of Mark's. This ex-girlfriend of Mark's was basically there just to defend Mark because no one else was, and she went on and said that she had spent a week with Dylan and Mark together, and Dylan slept in all the time, and Mark works all the time, so that's why he's not a able to spend as much time with Dylan and his other kids as he would like to and that she's seen Mark with Dylan and there's no way that this could ever be something that he would have done or be responsible for. But honestly, I don't think anyone really took her seriously. I think her appearance was extremely random and uncalled for and unnecessary. It just looked like they needed someone to back Mark and they didn't really care who it was. They just needed someone to kind of defend him and be on his side too. I don't know if it was for good TV purposes or what, but anyways, so Elaine, Mark, and Corey are the main people that were important really in this taping, and there really wasn't any new information that came out on the taping. It was a lot of Mark pointing fingers at Elaine, saying that he believes that Elaine, Dylan's mother, could have actually had something to do with his disappearance, even though she was a six-hour drive away from him during the time that he went missing, and you know, Mark acknowledges that he has absolutely no facts or evidence to back this theory up of Elaine possibly having something to do with Dylan's disappearance, but he just said that he thinks it's a possibility and that it was speculation that he has. So that was his side of things and how he viewed things. Now on the other side, you had Elaine who was extremely angry with Mark, understandably, and her telling Mark that he had helped Zero in the search to help find Dylan. He didn't attend any of the vigils. He didn't attend any of the birthday parties that they planned for Dylan after he had disappeared. He just wasn't present whatsoever. Now, according to Mark, he said he doesn't believe that he was the last person to see Dylan. He said that he thinks that the mailman, who typically runs by his house to give him his mail, was the last person to see Dylan, considering the fact that he would have driven by the house to drop off the mail during the time period that Mark was off running errands that morning. Now, Corey, Dylan's brother, was also on the Dr. Phil show, and he spoke to Mark as well, who, by the way, he only refers to as Mark. Mark, and he doesn't call him his dad. He doesn't refer to him as a father figure. He says that he refers to him as Mark because throughout his entire life, Mark has never been an actual father to him. He has never actually been there. And along with that, he also believes that Mark was responsible for Dylan's disappearance. So while Mark was on the Dr. Phil show, they basically tried to get him to take another polygraph test, but this proved to be a very difficult process. Mark went in to take a polygraph test with the polygraph test examiner day prior to the taping of the Dr. Phil show. That way they could have the results ready for the following day for the taping. But when Mark arrived to the office, he said that he was just not ready for this. He didn't think that he could do it. 
He actually said that his blood was boiling over the fact that he would have to sit on the stage across from his ex-wife and listen to her basically accuse him of doing this to Dylan. Because of this, Mark and the polygraph examiner agreed that he would come back in the following morning prior to the taping of the show to take the test. So Mark shows up to the office the following morning at 8 a.m. and when he gets there, he tells the polygraph examiner that he's nervous, doesn't know if he can do this, and that he drank a half bottle of Jim B the night prior, but regardless of this, they get him all wired up to the polygraph exam, and they're beginning the questions, and about 20 minutes into the exam, the polygraph examiner, I guess, asks a routine question. I'm not really familiar with polygraph exams or if this is a routine question, but the examiner asked Mark if he feels like he's capable of taking the test right now or in the best state to take the test right now, which Mark responded no, which is when the examiner decided to not continue with the rest of the polygraph exam and he just never took it again after that okay we're gonna take a short break but we will be right back with more of the killer instinct podcast imagine an app designed to make you use it less seems a little counterproductive right Well, Apartments.com's Instant Alert feature works exactly that way. Instead of scanning rental listings a million times a day, simply set and forget your search to whatever you're looking for in a place and let Apartments.com do the rest. From pet-friendly apartments to balconies to in-unit ACs, Apartments.com's powerful search tools let you know when the perfect combination of features you're seeking is listed. So you don't have to power through rental descriptions one by one. With more rental listings than anywhere else, Apartments Apartments.com's instant alerts mean that you can spend less time looking for the perfect place and more time on just doing you. Apartments.com, the place to find a place. All right, you guys, welcome back. So at this point in the investigation, Mark is not looking good. None of this is looking good for him. A lot of fingers are being pointed at him. There's a lot of blame being thrown at him. And a lot of people who just believe that he knew way more than he was telling, that his story didn't make sense. And at this point in the investigation, everyone still had high hopes that Dylan was out there alive somewhere, that he would be found alive and be brought home safely. But unfortunately, that hope all went away in late June of 2013 seven months after Dylan's disappearance when Dylan's partial remains were found about 10 miles away from Mark Redwine's home. Like I said, it was only partial remains found in 2013, but then two and a half years later on November 1st, 2015, just about a mile and a half away from where Dylan's partial remains were originally found, there was a group of hikers who discovered a human skull. Now, these hikers contacted authorities immediately, and when authorities sent the skull off for DNA testing, they were able to confirm that the skull that had been found had also belonged to Dylan Redwine. Now, some people originally thought that maybe Dylan got taken by an animal. Maybe a wild animal got a hold of him, and that is what resulted in his death. However, wildlife experts were able to determine, based off of the information that was given to them, that there would be no animal in that area that would take Dylan from Mark's home to where his remains were found. And on top of that, 
that, they also determined that there would be no animal who would take Dylan's skull and place it an additional 1.5 miles away from where his original partial remains were discovered. So basically what the wildlife experts said is that there was no way that this was the result of an animal, and based off of that, authorities were able to conclude that this was now a homicide investigation. Dylan's skull was found right off of a road called Middle Mountain Road, and this was a very easily accessible road in comparison to where Mark Redwine lived, and this was also a road that he knew very well. Now, when I looked it up on Google Maps and mapped where Mark Redwine's house is to where Middle Mountain Road is, it's about a 15-minute drive from where Mark's house is to where Dylan's remains were found. Now, the coroners have said that Dylan's skull revealed that there had been two blunt force trauma indications on the skull. However, they also concluded that they believe that the blunt force trauma that happened happened after Dylan had already passed away. The coroners also said that the marks that were found on his skull were consistent of those to a knife. Now, after Dylan's partial remains had been found, but prior to his skull being found, so they had the partial remains, but they hadn't found the skull yet. On August 5th, 2013, cadaver dogs were brought into Mark's home to see if they were able to sniff out any scent of a cadaver. Now, when the dogs were brought into Mark's home, it did not take them long to pick up on the scent of a cadaver. They marked it to be in multiple locations of Mark's home, including the living room, the washing machine, and the clothes Mark was wearing on November 18th, 2013. And 12. Now, on February 13th, 2014, there was another search with the cadaver dogs, and the dogs were able to pick up a scent on Mark's Dodge pickup truck, as well as in the bed of his pickup truck. Three years after Dylan's disappearance in 2015, Mark Redwine was named a person of interest in Dylan's case, and authorities named Dylan's death to be very suspicious. Now, according to Mark, he said that when he heard he was a person of interest, he was not really concerned. He said, that he actually didn't know what a person of interest was and no one could actually explain to him the definition of a person of interest. So he said that when he heard that he had become a person of interest, he was not concerned about that. He also said that he has always given police full access to his home and that 10 days after Dylan went missing, police actually went in and searched Mark's home and he said that he would have let them come in earlier if they wanted to, but the reason authorities had to wait those 10 days to do their initial search is because they needed to follow proper protocol and get a search warrant. After multiple extensive searches of Mark's home, authorities were actually able to find traces of Dylan's blood all throughout Mark's home. They were able to find Dylan's blood on Mark's coffee table, as well as the sofa in Mark's living room. Blood had also been found on Mark's carpet, as well as the love seat that Mark had in his home. Now, after all of this information and the findings from Mark's home had come to the surface, police were confident that they had everything that they needed to make an arrest. In July of 2017, Mark Redwine was arrested for second-degree murder as well as child abuse resulting in death and was held on a $1 million cash-only bond. Mark was arrested in Bellingham, Washington following a grand jury issuing an indictment for his arrest and shortly after, he was transferred back to Colorado and held 
held in the La Plata County Jail. Now, Mark, since day one, has said that he has absolutely nothing to do with Dylan's disappearance and has maintained his innocence throughout this entire investigation. So, because of that, he has pled absolutely not guilty to the charges that have been made against him, and the case has been set to go to trial. Mark's bond has actually been lowered to about $700,000. However, he is unable to pay that, so he will be staying in the county jail until his trial begins. But here's where it's been getting a little bit tricky. Mark's trial was initially supposed to be set for September 17th, 2019. However, in July of 2019, one of Mark's attorneys actually got arrested for assault and domestic violence charges. And following this attorney's arrest, he actually failed to appear in court at two different court hearings for Mark. So the judge basically kicked him off the case. So because of this, it took time to get a new public defender for Mark on the case and have him get caught up on all of the information and evidence that comes with this case. So after a little bit of time, the judge appointed John Moran as the new public defender for Mark Redwine. John will also join Justin Bogan and Eric Venata, who are also public defenders for Mark on this trial. So the trial date has actually been postponed multiple different times and the most recent being postponed until this upcoming May. The trial was actually set to start on April 2nd. However, because of the pandemic and the state of the world right now, it has been again pushed back until May 26th. So let's even see if that ends up happening and this will definitely be a case that we continue to keep updated on. So let's talk about the why in this case. Let's talk about the motive. Obviously, there could be no possible reasonable explanation for Dylan's life to be taken from him ever, no matter what but there has always been a lot of speculation as to what could have possibly led Mark over the edge to the point where he could have possibly hurt Dylan. And there's an answer for this. So at some point, and I'm not exactly sure when, Dylan and his older brother, Corey, came across some disturbing photos of Mark. These are extremely disturbing photos. These pictures included Mark wearing women's clothes and makeup and eating the contents of a dirty diaper. Now, the pictures are out there on the internet, and I have found them, and I saw them, and if you want to look them up, you can. I just warn you that they are extremely disturbing images that you will probably never be able to get out of your head, so I just want to warn you and caution you before you go ahead and look up those images. If you don't think that you have the stomach for it, just don't do it. But regardless of that, it's been speculation that Dylan was actually planning on confronting his father about these pictures that he had found. I've seen different Different sources that have stated that Dylan was just going to approach his dad with the photos and ask where they came from. And then I have also heard other sources say that him and his father were already in an existing argument and he was going to use these photos against his father. A lot of people believe that this definitely could have been enough to drive Mark's temper up to the point where it could have just been the tipping point for him and he could have lashed out against Dylan. So that answers the motive question. You know, that answers why Mark could have possibly done this to Dylan. But now I want to talk about Elaine for a minute because Elaine, Dylan's mother, has been so incredibly strong and focused on finding justice for her son and never giving up on figuring out what happened to him and making sure the person responsible for this is held accountable. You know, Elaine said from the very first day that she heard that Dylan was missing, she automatically knew it was a mother's instinct 
precinct, she knew that Mark had something to do with it. Prior to Dylan's disappearance, Elaine ended up remarrying and married a man named Mike Hall, and Mike has also been incredibly determined to find justice for Dylan along with the rest of Elaine's family and friends, and Corey, Dylan's brother, Corey, has been so determined to find justice for Dylan and to fight for Dylan because unfortunately he is unable to do that for himself. One accomplishment that has come out of this entire heart-wrenching, terrible, terrible, there isn't enough words to describe or the accurate words to describe how awful this is. And I hate saying awful because it just doesn't do it justice. But what has been an accomplishment is that Elaine has actually helped get a law passed in Colorado called the Body Tampering Law. Now with this law, it makes tampering with a dead body a class three felony. And those convicted of this could face up to 12 years in prison for each charge they have. With this new change in the law cases like the Chris Watts case, which if you don't remember, he was the father who murdered his wife and daughters, and the Gannon Stouch case, they are getting extra punishments now with this new law that Elaine helped put into place. So the fact that Elaine has been able to take probably, not even probably, the worst situation ever that anyone could ever experience and make a change out of it is incredibly inspirational, and I just admire that so much. So I want to talk to you guys about where you can keep up with the, a lot of the information if you want to track this case on your own. So there is a Facebook page for Dylan called Dylan Redwine, The Journey to Justice. Um, like I said, it's on Facebook. There are multiple different admins on that page. One of the women who created the page was a woman named Denise Hawkins, who went by the name Kat, and she was close friends with Elaine and created the Facebook page and really helped get Dylan's name out into the public. Now, unfortunately, Kat ended up passing away in 2016 from cancer. However, there still are other admins of the Facebook group who are keeping it up to date on any new information regarding the case and trial that is going to be upcoming. I'm sure there are going to be a lot of updates that are going to be coming from this Facebook page in the weeks and months to follow, especially once this trial gets started. So if you want to check out that Facebook page, I highly, highly recommend it. The Facebook page starts back in 2012 when Dylan originally went missing. I believe the start date of the Facebook page was November 24th, 2012, and I know this because I went all the way back and down to find the very first post that was made off of that page. I read almost every single status and article that came off that page. It's extremely informative, so I definitely recommend if you guys want to check it out. I highly, highly recommend it. So that is really all we have for this case today. I think that one once this trial starts, there's going to be a lot more information and details that are uncovered and hopefully more answers to what exactly happened to Dylan. I am extremely interested to hear what you guys have to say about this entire case, what you think about Mark, what you think happened to Dylan, the pictures, situation, everything in between. So send me in your theories. You can email me at killerinstinctpodcast at gmail.com. Again, that is killerinstinctpodcast at gmail.com and we will be going over your theories next week at the beginning of next week's episode. I also want to say that if you have any case recommendations, you can also send them in to that email as well. I'm constantly looking for new cases to go over with you guys and to share with you guys and bring light and a platform in whatever way I can. So definitely email me there. That's where you can reach me with your theories, questions, requests, comments, all of those things. And with that being said, you guys, thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Killer Instinct. If you are new here, make sure you go ahead and hit that subscribe button. That way you never miss an episode. We post weekly episodes here on Killer Instinct every single
single Wednesday and you are not going to want to miss it. I'll be back right here next week to talk about the theories that y'all had on this case as well as go over a brand new one and until then you guys stay safe, stay sane, stay inside if you can and I'll talk to you soon.